I will say and one thing that I have done and uh, but you know to make sure I will keep doing it if I meet myself 20 years earlier is to learn every day uh, I, I think you know trying something new every day being a little bit uncomfortable it builds so much resilience so much resilience and so much self-improvement then really sky is the limit Welcome to the Design Rush podcast, where we explore the intersections of business, technology, and creativity. I'm your host, Bianca Mayer, and today we're joined by Isabel, a visionary in the marketing field and a leader at Brevo. We're set to delve into Isabel's inspiring journey from her early days in engineering to her groundbreaking work in marketing. Let's discover what drives the innovation behind Brevo's success. Isabel, it's a pleasure to have you with us. Okay, Isabel, thank you again so much for joining us today. Um, and before we unpack your revolutionary work um, that you and Bravo do in the marketing space, I'd love to start by understanding your own journey and what ignited your passion for marketing. So Isabel, just for our audience, could you briefly introduce yourself and sure. what it is Sure, thank you, you for do? having me, Bianca, I really appreciate it. Uh, I am currently the global CMO and CEO in North America for Bravo. Uh, I joined the company uh, maybe six months ago. It's a customer relationship management company. And uh, I've been in this field before. I worked at company like uh, uh, Salesforce, for instance. I, in spite of my French accent, I live in the, in the US, in the Bay Area. Actually, to be more accurate, since 2001, most of my career has been uh, in marketing and I was also trained as an engineer. So, and I moved from France, obviously, uh, uh, in 2001 to the US. Okay, amazing. So you mentioned that you were, you know, you were trained as an engineer. Now, of course, back then, you know, when you were first starting out, there must not have been a lot of women in engineering to look up to at the time. So what was it that made you choose engineering as your career path? I mean, was there a specific person or experience in your life that led you to that decision? So uh, th there were so many people and I feel so lucky and blessed to have had them uh, in my life. I just happened to be really gifted for math and physics, actually more physics. Um, you know, math was a little bit too theoretical and I really like applied science. I was also pretty good at biology and chemistry. And for the longest time, I thought I would become a veterinarian. And when I applied, my uh, professor, I had a wonderful professor, told me, you know, since you're good in physics as well, you should try engineering school, apply to it too. And then I got both. And I'm like, what am I going to do now? I, I was so sure I will, um, I will be a veterinarian. And, they, um, and I talked to my professor and a lot of my friends, and I happened to have to be in a technical high school. So a lot of my friends were... Um, uh, were male students uh, and were going into engineering and I guess I wanted to stay with them and uh, uh, and that's how I, I made the decision and it's been great because you know for instance anything in medicine you cannot transfer it from France to the US you have to take an exam anything in law as well and engineering you absolutely can because we all speak the same language when we code and so forth so, uh, so actually, that's what allowed me to completely change my life and uh, and come to the United States in 2001, and and I had a wonderful, wonderful experience. I know there is not a lot of women. I was, I think, 18% um, of the class, 
but I always felt respected. I always felt uh, equal. All my classmates were wonderful. Um, and actually it changed when you get into the workplace, but I feel I was a little bit protected and pampered because um, I was very lucky to be born in France, to have a free education there and to really be treated equal by all my classmates. Amazing. That's super heartwarming to know that, you know, at least you were accepted and, and protected there as well. But, you know, um, the one thing I did want to say to you is that, you know, I was doing a little bit of research on you before this podcast. And I have to say, you are one of the most impressive women, I think, I have seen so far. <laughs> so we're very excited to have you here. I just need to reiterate that. Um, you're very kind. Okay, very so I'm kind. sure you're very impressive um, on that. No, you're very kind. I'm sure there are a lot of impressive women. You are yeah. very <laughs> impressive too. So, um, but uh, thank you. But I, I'm... Well, yes, we are, but we're really really happy to have you here um but yes again I, I i know that there are many impressive women but you're certainly one of them and like i said we're very very excited to have you here really isabel really um okay so a follow-up question to uh what i just asked you you know about like engineering and all of that um you know were there driving factors that pushed you to grow in that career field initially before you went into marketing? Oh, yeah, yeah. I mean, first, I, I love it. I love being in high tech. I love working on technology. And even for marketing, I don't see myself marketing anything else than high tech. Um, and, um, you know, when I left my engineering school, my uh, professor told me, if you don't become an engineer and really do this now and code and be a researcher, you'll never do it again because it's a one-way door. It's really hard you know, to start doing, I don't know, marketing or some business function and come back to coding. And that was a great advice. And so that's why, you know, right after school, I went to be an AI engineer. At the, uh, at the time, it was not called artificial intelligence and we didn't have all the technology like cloud computing and all the database that exists today. But that's what I, I left and I went for. And I really enjoy um, doing this. I started publishing, but it was a little bit lonely uh, for me. And I wanted to know how my customer were using, you know, my product, what could be improved. And I moved to product management and then putting a value on the product to pricing until, you know, I, I could um, explain, you know, in, I would say easy terms, the business value of very technically complex product. And that was kind of my, um, my link between engineering and marketing. And that, that's when I switched to product marketing and, um, and the rest is history, but it, it's really, um, I mean, the, the technology, I'm always interested in new marketing tech, uh, application. I'm always looking at new, um, new content, new, um, knowledge, improving my knowledge about any new technology. And, uh, and that's something I'm passionate about. So. course yeah I can definitely tell that that's something that you're very passionate about but I did want to ask you what did the AI landscape look like when you were first starting out then oh my god it was so hard um, I was in speech recognition and speaker verification so at the time mm -hmm. you know Siri did not exist and I was pretty much working on the Siri in 1997 and so to create that, we had to record many people in a quiet room, reading the dictionary, reading books, just to collect actually 
audio sample that I can model after. Uh, we had to do this with noise in a car because I was working for speech recognition on cell phones. And people wanted to call from their car and they wanted to call from home. And, and so the very first phone at the time that uh, were public, actually the first one in the world that uh, you could uh, call mom or call home or, you know, call work. Uh, I was working on that. And at the time, you know, you had to build your own database. You had to be in the office. I could not, I will dream. I will resolve a bug in my sleep, but there was no dial up. I could not connect to the computer. I had to drive over the weekend or in the middle of the night because I realized there was a bug, go fix it and come back home. Um, because you know, the batches and all the tests were taking 24 hours. So I didn't want it to wait to arrive at the office and then look at the computer for 24 hours. So it was, it was a different pace. It was, you know, it's so much better now. I understand why I left. It was so frustrating then to, to progress so slowly, but I'm so excited to see the progress, uh, over the last couple of decades. And, you know, at, at the time we wanted to do speaker verification so you could access your bank account, just calling and they say, Oh, this is Bianca. Of course, here is your account. And the problem is we never could reach more than 97%. And that's not good enough. There are still 3% of people who can access your bank account or your building, uh, you know, without being you. Uh, and if you had a cold, then we had to marry it with a video because your voice is changing. I don't know. It was really hard. I feel now the, the computing power, the database and the model are so much better. And the, the realm of possibility is so much bigger. A hundred percent, of course. Yeah, I can imagine that, you know, coming from that part of where AI started to where it's going now and just looking at how much it's progressed in like the last year, I'm sure it must be super exciting for you to be, have been part of this landscape. So in saying that, what would you say are like the two or three things that you find um, have become the easiest to handle in the world of AI now, especially when developing AI? Well, so first, of course, as a marketer, <laughs> um, I think AI has been around for a long time, <laughs> to be honest, in the marketing tech stack. And I, I teach um, marketing tech stack at uh, Santa Clara University. So I refresh my class every year. This year, a lot of refresh with artificial intelligence, but there is e more than 11,000 applications out there that marketers can use. A lot of them already use AI like chatbot, like, you know, analytics on e-commerce platform, uh, all these type of things. I believe the most recent innovation has been generative AI. And the difference is before AI was helping us look at patterns across a lot of data, but generative AI actually helps you create an output that's similar to the inputs you feed your model. So it's not just analyzing and it's not passive, it's really active which for marketer, um, there are a lot of use cases that actually um, that can help. So that's very exciting. Just to give you a few numbers, it's also going so fast. ChatGPT got 100 million users in two months. I think it took Instagram two and a half years to get there. So the speed of adoption of technology is just like mind-blowing. And, and marketers, as a marketer, I will tell you, and that's why I like technology, because especially in marketing in SaaS, you use a lot of data, you use a lot of tools, and um, I have to stay fresh I have, from a technology perspective. 
But I will tell you, marketers have to reinvent themselves every four to five years. You know, 10 years ago, social media arrived and oh, we all had to learn about Facebook and Twitter and, and Instagram and TikTok and, and know how to engage with our customer that way. Then account-based marketing arrived and we all had to adapt. And now I think really generative AI is yet another, um, another turning point into a marketer career and to many things, by the way, not just marketing, but medicine. Um, I mean, there are so many wonderful applications and um and for for marketers i think the ability so far the, the bottleneck was to generate content that was personalized enough fast enough to engage with plenty of segment um and now it's making things possible so it's really really exciting exactly um i just want to establish this connection quickly so okay you went from an engineer and then went into ai and now you're into marketing. So can you explain to me a little bit, or to our audience rather, how did that path go? Like, what was it that took you from AI um, and being like, I want to go into marketing? Um, well, so I was building those products like, you know, call home and, uh, hey, I'm Isabel, give me access to the building. And it was not necessarily working. Um, I mean, call home and so forth, yes, but it was nothing like Siri, where you could say full verbal language uh, sentences and, and be recognized, right? And so I, I just felt um, um, a couple of things. So the technology was not as developed. So progress was a bit slow compared to today's right uh, second i was really missing the customer engagement and the feedback about the product uh, and then it was lonely like it is lonely to be an engineer you work with different teams but at the end of the day the good news is you really master you own your schedule you can code from you know 10 p.m to 5 a.m if you want uh, that's not a problem but as long as you meet your deadline, but it's a bit lonely and I'm a little bit more of an extrovert and I love to engage um, with, with my customers. And, and I found out that, you know, um, there are very few marketers with a technical background and I will complement my teammates and my colleagues uh, from that perspective. And uh, I, I loved explaining technology to people. I love helping them you know, solve their problem with it. I love, you know, showing them the latest cool things, but make it easy so they are not intimidating and they, um, they solve, you know, problem and they make their life easier and I can see the impact. And so that that's why I shift. And, and I will tell you, I think marketing okay. is fast. Um, also, there is more data driven, there is more market data. So in addition of first the product and the technology, now I can also add my analytic mind. Uh, because I've been in SaaS, I can see the market trends uh, with all the tools and um, and the marketer has become a lot more business critical than in the past. Like you see product like growth at Brevo, 80% of our revenue are driven entirely by marketing with no intervention from sales because it's a lot of small accounts that we engage with online and they put their credit card and, and so that's... Um, that's a significant influence uh, and a much funnier role than uh, what it used to be 15 years ago. Okay, well, thank you for that. So I just want to get back a little bit more to, you know, your personal journey again. Um, can you share any personal experiences that shaped your personality? And this includes, you know, work. Um, 
that made you or, or turned you into the leader that you are today? Oh, wow. So many, <laughs> so many things um, uh, I've changed. I mean, I will say um, I mentioned this a little bit earlier, but uh, I consider myself very lucky to um, been born in France. Um, I come from an underprivileged social class. Mm -hmm. And so my parents, especially in the U.S., where um, studying is so expensive, would have never been able to afford that. But in France, education is free. Uh, it is based on competitive exams, so you, you do your ranked. Um, I had to take an exam which I was nationally ranked about all the students of my year, of my age in the country. Uh, but, you know, if you work hard and you have a good grading, even if you're not that rich, you can still end up, and that was my, my luck, I end up in a really good engineering school, have access to really good quality of teaching and open your horizon. Uh, you know, my parents didn't even know what an engineer was. I didn't know uh, until I got into an engineering school. So, um, you know, it, it really, um, you know, in a way, the American dream that I love so much since I moved, that was for me. I mean, the fact of being born in France and when it comes to education was really eye-opening. And, and that's how I got my Master of Science in Electrical Engineering and Computer Science. Um, then, you know, being an immigrant in the U.S. also really shaped my personality. Uh, I've been here for 22 years. Uh, I am very proud to have become a U.S. citizen in 2012, so 11 years ago. And I really consider myself both French and American. Um, I love, you know, the optimism the positivity the attitude of you control your destiny that americans have um and you know i really i really you know um, want to be like that i really aspire to be like that becoming a u.s citizen for me was a big achievement um and very emotional and but of course i cannot get the french out of me uh, on other on other instances and i'm married to a french gentleman so um I cannot get rid of my accent either as a result. Um, but, you know, so, so yes, immigrating to the U.S. was another huge milestone. <laughs> and I will say the last one probably um, uh, has been to get an American education. Um, I, you know, as I was living here and we decided to stay and we finally got our green card because, um, you know, we arrived uh, in March and in September, September 11 happened and all the green cards were on hold. So... A few years later, we finally got our green card and, and I really wanted to stay here and having a, an American education in my mind was so critical to understand this market, this country and be able to really establish uh, a career and a life. And, uh, and so we applied for MBAs and um, I got very lucky to get into Harvard Business School and that was for me very new process. Everything was different compared to France, where it was a competitive ranking and exam. Uh, but also it was very high opening in terms of being able to, you know, uh, Harvard use a case study method. So you debate ideas with different folks. So understanding how they think, understanding how they approach uh, my, my classmates, how they approach, you know, um, a business problem, I think made me a better business person as well. And uh, that was definitely the three big you know, things that have shaped my career and me as a person. Amazing. I mean, I was going to bring up you, you going to Harvard Business School and, and getting your MBA there as well. And I think that's super impressive. You know, having coming from France, going over to uh, the US, 
getting your green card and then also getting into Harvard Business School and achieving your MBA is a massive feat. I mean, I would still be packing, patting myself on the back if I were you, really, it's incredible. And you should be so proud of yourself. Um, but what I wanted to ask you as well about Harvard, I mean, that must have been an interesting process, you know, applying, getting in there. And, you know, maybe for all of us that's maybe not from the US, what was that process like? Oh, wow. Uh, that was very different, as I say, than Europe. Um, you know, you have to... Um, it's not yeah. so much based on your grade or competitive exam. I mean, it is competitive, but uh, you have to write an essay more about your aspiration. It's a, it's a lot more personal, I find, uh, which for me was very uncomfortable, to be <laughs> honest, to talk about me or my aspirations. Um, some are grades, but it's also about who you are. And so for that, you have to share a lot about traits of characters, uh, extracurricular activities. They ask for reference letters, which also is a big challenge because at the time, I only had lived in the US for three years. Most of my references were French. And when I was looking at American references, American love, as I say, the optimism, they, they, they think big, everything's big. And, and they were like, oh, you know, somebody can say this person can walk on water. Whereas in France, you know, to say someone is good, like, yeah, she's good. And actually, that means she can walk on water. Actually, your, your professor will never say you're good. They're like, you're not too bad. You know, that's, that's kind of the, the spirit. And I was like, oh my God, what are they going to say on my reference later? Like, nothing is going to be that exciting. Um, but, you know, um, well, I, I guess Harvard knows about this and they may have, you know, understood that French people express their uh, enthusiasm in a different way. Um, also, you know, there are a lot of dependencies on the green card. I was very lucky um, when I got accepted to Harvard. I didn't have a green card and I could not afford to pay for the studies and then not having a visa and having to go back to Paris. I mean, to France, that was not my idea and why I was doing this and I told them look I, I would love to come can can you give me one more year so hopefully by next year I'll have my green card and again you know I was very lucky they said yes I'll, I'll tell you Bianca you know thank you for all the credit you give me but I have been so blessed by so many people who helped me throughout you know um, throughout my career from a manager I got only for three months who signed the process and get me started with my green card to Harvard, who gave me a one-year deferral, to all the people who've helped me. Um, honestly, I, I wish I could take all the credit, but um, a lot of it goes to them. 100%. But that's also a really important factor in any success in life, I think, is that you have people that support you and believe in you and see the potential in you, right? Absolutely. So, so, but it also takes cool. you and your hard work. No, it's a collaborative it's a collaborative thing i think um i mean that's an incredible experience i think what was there something from harvard like a lesson maybe that you still carry with you today um well so so as i mentioned harvard has a very special way of teaching i, I was admitted in multiple schools and they let you go during the admitted weekend student weekend to um to look at the classes and some of them were lecture based which is a lot more closer to what i was used to in europe and harvard was so different 
it was a case study method. So you read about a problem before you come to class and during class you debate about how to solve it. And of course you can solve the problem many ways. Like there is not one single right answer. And so everybody has a different opinion, a different approach, and it's really more like a debate and, you know, having becoming more articulate into my discussion and understanding how my classmate was thinking and what were their logic. And, and you really bring me a more balanced um, viewpoint and more balanced perspective, like because I was exposed to their experience and to their background without having to leave it. And it was such a rich experience. Um, and also all the case studies we do is really, um, they're real, like it's a real company. It's, you know, uh, all, all the company we've heard around that had to have a pivotal moment and they were about to file for bankruptcy, but they resurrected or they had this business model and they shift. Except when we do it, we don't know the answer because the company is leaving it at this moment. So um, it was both, it was a great way to learn about plenty of people and background and really my classmates, you know, we were my mentors. We were all mentoring each other and learning from each other. But also it was for me a great way. It's like a lesson of capitalism because it was all those companies I didn't know, um, all the famous, you know, corporate strategies that have happened in the past, like great company like GE that have introduced new concepts in the business world that I was uh, studying. And um, that's probably the two biggest lessons. The one from my classmates and the one from just, you know, the, the history of, you know, the industry. That sounds like it was such an enriching experience, seriously, and, and one that um, I think a lot of people would have loved to also have done and an experience that I know for sure I would have loved that. So I'm, I'm so happy that you got to do that as well, you know. Um, okay, so on a similar note, were there any other experiences or influences that particularly steered you to the world of marketing that eventually led to Brevo? Um... Yeah, yeah. There, I mean, many uh, experience and influence, as I mentioned, I think being an engineer is one thing that I realized, you know, I was able to complement mm -hmm. and think about that. I'm an immigrant. I trying to find my place, trying to find my competitive differentiator in a crowded market with people who um, are better than me at writing in English, uh, marketing in English and, and there, you know, being technical and me being able to help them and complement them was great. I think the second biggest thing that influenced my, my career trajectory was um, being data proficient and the world becoming SaaS. Um, so I was able to read the market, you know, in the past mm -hmm. to know what your customer thought, you had to talk to your sales guys. Say, hey, how are your customers? Are they asking more questions? Are they in cost reduction mode? Are they having a bigger budget? I, but now I could read the data and I could actually tell my sales team, well, it looks like people are buying a lot more this quarter. And so um, that was really great. And that's why I shaped my go-to-market mindset. What are the lever marketing can use to sell more, to mm -hmm. help them to uh, engage with customers also differently? Um, so that's been one. And, uh, and I will say, you know, what led me to Brevo also, it's a series of experience being in the CRM industry with Salesforce, um, being, so Brevo is a French company. And this is my first time in my life working for a French company. Even when I work in Paris, it was for a Canadian one. Um, and it's a very, you know, it, it, it's a very particular company. Like even in France and in the Paris office, everybody speaks English. 
because there is always a third of the people in the meeting room that don't speak French. So it's been an English first company all along. And, um, and that's great because I can leverage my French culture to bridge, uh, you know, different markets like North America and the European one, but also I feel I'm more um, whole. Like it's not just the marketing skill and the American mm -hmm. I've become, but I can go back to my source and also leverage all my French uh, background uh, more. So, so many different influences and experiences that, you know, sometimes lead you to uh, unexpected paths. <laughs> okay, so talking about Bravo now as well, um, moving from your individual journey and experiences, I'd like to delve a little bit more into Bravo and what it does, its unique value position, what standout services uh, Brava offers, and of course, you know, the impact that it has on brands globally. Now, for our listener, listeners that's unfamiliar with Brava, how would you describe these standout features and services that cater to current demands in the marketing landscape? Sure. So, so um, in a nutshell, Brava is a customer relationship management suite. And so any business can use our platform to really do marketing. And by marketing, we understand like marketing automation, doing campaigns to engage with your customer and doing campaign and reaching out to your customer over email, SMS, WhatsApp, any, any channel of communication. Uh, we also cover sales. So when you have a sales team and they manage their pipeline and they move deals uh, from you know, prospecting to um, close deals, um, and, um, you know, we, that's what we do. We do different uh, way to engage with customers and to drive business and grow your business. Um, and we started really with small businesses, mainly online. And now we, um, we have a very sophisticated platform, but as I love to say, we are the most approachable CRM because when you start using it, it's very easy. Even if we have artificial intelligence and very granular feature it looks simpler from a ux ui and so you're not intimidated we are very approachable we also um, have um, can give access to any type of budget to our capabilities because you pay for the level of engagement not how many customers or contacts you have but really how much value the platform brings to you and uh, we have customer support and real people you can talk to no matter what your size and so as we evolve, of course, it was many self-service and now we have more and more enterprise customer uh, acquiring us, but we, we want to serve both and we are very loyal to our approachability. Amazing. Um, now, of course, we also know that Bravo has been recognized because of its unique approach and suite of offerings as some of the things that you just mentioned as well. So what um, can you highlight that sets Bravo apart from other platforms delivering exceptional results to its clientele, specifically in CRM. Of yes, course. yes. So, um, so CRM is not a new industry. I think Salesforce was one of the first to deliver that on SaaS 20 years ago. And uh, but it's a very mature industry. You have a lot of CRM solution out there, and so the value of being the most approachable one, as I mentioned, um, is really that all those solutions have been built two decades ago, they keep adding more features, they become more sophisticated, but then they became very intimidating because the user interface is complex and you can do so many things, but you don't know where to start. I think the value of Brevo and the, 
the chance we had is to start only 12 years ago, is to start with small business who didn't have dedicated marketers. And so really the ease of use has been core to all of that. And now that we have the same capability as the most advanced and mature and established CRM, but with a simpler ease of use, we see a lot of people adopting us because they they can't keep up with the other solutions. So that's been uh, one differentiator. The other, I, I touched a little bit upon it, was the value. A lot of CRM price per contact. Uh, but if you have like a hotel business where you have a lot of contacts who come to your place, but you only send an email once a year because I go to the same hotel just once a year when I'm at Christmas in France, for instance, you don't want to pay for me every other month. You're not sending me an email. It's just how the industry right now is pricing. And so what we do is really we price per engagement. So it's only when you send an email to your contact that you pay, not how many contacts you have. And, you know, if you're a startup with a freemium model, if you're a utility company where you have all the citizens in a certain county that you need to communicate with, but you don't really control why you have so many customers or you're in a freemium, half of your customers don't pay and you don't want to talk to them. You only want to pay to your paying customers. That's a lot more flexible. And, and the fact also the value you get from not having to set up multiple solutions, integrate them just by one and do marketing and sales and service and all of this in one um, has been the great value that our customers find in addition of our, as I mentioned, customer service, no matter what the size you are. Amazing. Okay, but also Isabel, we know that the digital, digital mar marketing landscape is always evolving. So in terms of that, how does Bravo plan to further refine its features and services, say, over the next five years? Um, are there any like pioneering projects or expansions on the horizon that our listeners should anticipate from, from Bravo? Yes, actually, I mean, uh, I wish I could keep up with all the things we're doing. To be honest, being in marketing, I have to market them all. And it's, uh, it's really a full-time job. Um, so Bravo did a lot of acquisitions, uh, I think eight or nine so far. And uh, we keep, you know, we keep looking into this because technology changes and we want our customer to always have the, the latest and greatest. So um, some of those acquisition is to have new engagement channels. We acquire a mobile wallet company so we can push message and engage on your mobile um, with a card. Some are emails uh, company, some are um, WhatsApp, I mean, sorry, web push. So we have a lot of different channels and every time there is a new channel, either we develop it internally or we make some acquisition to complement it. Uh, we cover the entire customer journey uh, thanks to those acquisitions too. From you know, we, and some of them we develop ourselves, like the sales platform. We started with marketing. Now we want to help the sales team, and we will cover all the teams that touch the customers. Um, and and I will say we do a lot of artificial intelligence again in a very approachable way. So if you need something super sophisticated, if you have tons of data. You may want to have um, a separate platform, which actually we offer. It's a customer data platform to manage all your customer data. But if you don't, there are features that can come embedded. So you don't need to be an AI expert. You don't need to have a PhD. You just can decide AI wants to use AI to write a title that's a little bit differentiated than the other email you received. 
maybe you can say I want the tone to give them, you know, maybe the fear of missing out if they don't open the email, or I want something funny and witty, and you just tell AI what you want. And we come up with a few proposals and you select. We do the same for the email body. Uh, we actually even, and that's really a cool feature, we can send the message, let's say an email, at the best time of the day for each individual person based on when they open the past email. So you can do your Black Friday you know, um, campaign. You say everyone's going to receive it on Black Friday, but they don't receive it at the same time because it depends on when they open their email. But again, it's just called best time. You click on it and that's it. That's how difficult AI is to use uh, in Bravo. Oh my goodness, that is incredible. I've never heard of that. I have never heard of that in marketing before. That's fantastic. That's a great feature. Wow. Okay, so now that we are actually talking about AI, I brought up Black Friday. It's gonna bring me right to my next my next uh, topic that I want to discuss with you, uh, because I know that Bravo released an ebook recently um, on Black Friday sales and how to integrate AI powered marketing strategies into that. So let's get a little bit more into that now. Um, as I mentioned, Bravo's ebook uh, emphasizes the importance of AI in shaping Black Friday marketing strategies. So in your view, Isabel, what stands out as the pivotal concept or tool that businesses absolutely need to incorporate this sales season? Um, well, I don't know if it's, um, you know, for um, sales even, but I think as a marketer, there are three big categories now that are being possible thanks to AI. Uh, and obviously, I will recommend everybody to use it for Black Friday. Uh, but it is, you know... Um, what I call micro segmentation. So we all been using segmentation, right? We all have a customer like small, medium and big uh, segmentation or, you know, retail, healthcare, finance, per vertical, per region, France, Germany, North America, things like that. Uh, what you could do actually with AI is more powerful. You can really micro segmented you can say people in north america who are in retail who open their emails on monday and have bought x amount of this in the past and and that becomes really really complex really fast and unfortunately as marketers we don't have enough bandwidth to write content for each one of those segments that's why we're doing just 10 or 5 segments at a time and that's why they're pretty big like small business big business Europe, North America, retail and healthcare. But now with generative AI, where you can generate content a lot faster, you can have it more personalized, you can do micro segmentation and get really refined, but plenty of criteria of people you think are important for your next communication. And you can do hyper personalization of content at scale. You don't need to hire an army of 100 people to write an email for each segment. You can tell what you want to tell them and it will give you a proposal for each specificity of your segment. And then, you know, how you engage with them is different. Some people like to read email in the morning, do WhatsApp in the afternoon, other wants to read white papers on a computer, but listen to a podcast in their car with their phone. The customer journey is different. And now with AI, you can find those patterns and you can push the communication at the best time, but the best thing through the best channel 
um, and, and that's really exciting. And so that's what I think, you know, marketing is going to look like, like really an art and a science, uh, thanks to AI in the coming years. I think that's just incredible. I really do. I think that's, I, this is all new to me, to be honest with you. I, I, I'm, I had no idea that um, AI was able to even do this now, uh, but that's fantastic. Okay, so I also read a, a recent HubSpot article um, that points to the growing reliance on, or excuse me, the growing reliance on AI to create more personalized customer experiences. Now, Isabel, given this trend, how should businesses pivot their Black Friday campaigns to fully exploit AI-driven marketing solutions, would you say? Well, I think, you know, back to the personalized content, this is really the new thing now that was not possible before. And, and I think talking, you know, we all receive Black Friday emails. Hey, you get 50% discount. Okay. But, you know, if I say, hey, you bought, I, I'm going to make things up, but you bought jeans from us and denim last year. And maybe uh, today the trend has changed. It used to be skinny jeans, but today it's wide leg jeans. And we recommend based on your size and your taste in the past days. And you get 50% on that. It's a lot more personalized. The chance for me to click and use your coupon is much higher than just sending me a coupon and me navigating on your website forever to find something I like. So really, again, using AI to be able to do this at the individual level over the right channel and based on past history uh, is for me what will make a, a successful Black Friday. Really. Mm -hmm. Okay. So, okay. Just also talking about bigger brands that have incorporated incorporated AI into their strategies. Um, it was just last month that a bunch of big brands released their Q3 earnings for this year. And the report showed like pretty impressive um, AI gains for tech giants. So for instance, Google's AI ads increased click rates by like 20%. Um, Meta's AI creation or curation, sorry, boosted engagement by 15%. And then also Snapchat's AI filters raised daily users by 25%. I mean, that's staggering and, and amazing, of course. So what would you say if you had to, if you might know or maybe guess, um, what kind of marketing strategies do you think they might have used to achieve those results? And how do you think smaller businesses um, can apply those tactics for Black Friday? Well, it's a, it's a great uh, question, Bianca, and I, I like the fact that you mentioned them, like all those giants, but also talk about small businesses, because obviously what works for them is not going to work for the rest of us. We are not all uh, Snapchat, Meta, or not. Google, yeah. right? <laughs> so, uh, so I... I, I exactly. <laughs> of course not. I'm going to get a little bit technical, of course, you know, former <laughs> engineer, I cannot help. So... Um, I think when you think about AI, you have to think about the data you have. And I'm just going to take Amazon as a great example of using AI for many years, by, by the way. It's not just, you know, the hype of the moment, but why has Amazon been so successful? Not just because they have a long tail of offerings that everybody can find what they want, but it's also because they remember what you bought. Mm -hmm. They know what you've been looking into. They know people who start having similar tastes than you. And they will recommend things that they are um, uh, that they are buying. They do tests on pricing, so they have such an amazing um, data set 
and they have trained their model and they're really, you know, um, optimizing and leveraging the data. And the more data they got, the better they get at. Now, the way they use AI is fantastic. And of course, they're going to do this for Black Friday, finding the right price and for the right group of people, for the right product, right? Now, we're not all Amazon. We don't all have this data. And so uh, for the one who almost like small boutique SMBs, let's say, you know, my... Um, my baker, my yoga teacher, all of that, uh, or even even let's take a little bit bigger. Let's say you know um, Orange Theory, so like a, um, a gym, you know, chain uh, where they have multiple gyms all around the country, multiple classes, and multiple trainers, for instance. They have some data, and I think about what's special about your data. For them, what's special about them and their differentiator is the trainer they have, the type of class they have and the location. Because when you think about it, I, I go to classes where I like the teacher, when I like you know what the class is about, but also I don't want to drive two hours. Uh, so location is important. Now, do I care how differentiated, let's say their email sounds when they write to me? No. But what I care about is the number of classes they're gonna have and they see me like Friday afternoon, I'm trying to go to some classes, but they don't have as many Friday afternoon classes, And so maybe they should have some. So here, if I were them, I, I would say the data that's important is the attendance to my class, is which other trainer um, are similar or not, where you know I go, what time of the day I go. And for this, I will use AI to build your schedule, to say, hey, Isabel, I noticed you really like to take those classes with Ryan. And Ryan is going to have a new class on Friday afternoon. And you know, you like, I don't know, Zumba, but I, we have modern dance and, you know, it's different and you want to give it a try. And here is a coupon for that. So that for me, you want to use AI. You want to keep your data, but, you know, AI to send an email with the best title, you want to use Brevo because it is, you know, it, it, it What's in, in the email and you offer is what's going to make you different. And yes, we will help you optimize the title, the content and everything. But this is not a special data. It's a data that's based on all the small businesses using Brevo. And that's okay because you're sending maybe the same title than a gym five hours away. You're not in competition anyway. That's not where you compete. You compete on the trainer. and Exactly. hundred percent. That's a, that's a very good strategy, of course. So, um, having had so much experience with AI, you know, what, or have you rather come across any misconceptions or myths regarding, um, AI marketing, uh, particularly of course, as we gear up for Black Friday, um, and how does your and Bravo's expertise debunk these myths? So, so it's a little bit back to what I was just telling you, like what's your data? What's special about you? Um, just like social media, if you remember a few years back, everybody was on social media experimenting and then you saw people posting not necessarily um, politically correct things or not necessarily clever things and then impacting them on their job or impacting them on their professional, personal life sometimes, you know, spouses and things like that. Um, but, you know, we were all trying and, and, and we don't know what we don't know. I think for AI, very few people understand the impact it can have. 
Um, and so I will uh, highly recommend everyone to try it. Absolutely. Just like social media, you don't want to be left out. You want to know what's going on. But like social media, pay attention to a few things. Be careful about data ownership. You probably have heard um, someone at Samsung that was posting some code to get, you know, ChatGPT to rewrite it for uh, him or her. And now everything you've put into ChatGPT is becoming public domain. And so Samsung is in a battle for intellectual property. So, so be careful about, you know, what you use and who's going to own the data. And sometimes, as I say, the data, like sending your email is not that proprietary and it's okay to share it. But the data about your schedule, your trainers, maybe you want to have this um, uh, and pay attention there. Uh, the second thing is it's very easy to adopt AI for so many things. It will make your life easier. But are they critical things? Because the cost is going to add up. You know, it's like a few years back, everybody saw cloud computing was less expensive. And it is. Instead of paying 10 million for a data center at once, you just pay one and a half million per year. But after 10 years, you've paid 50% more, right? So how much of that do you want to do? Because every time you use AI, the more data you had, the more you're going to pay, the more prompts you're going to make, the more you're going to pay. So use it for what's really relevant to your business, but plan for the future where it's going to be probably very expensive at one point and um, try to you know, calibrate and don't be too dependent on it too fast. Okay, very good. Those are very good um, tips there as well. I mean, that I was going to ask you about the, the data privacy thing that was coming up now as well. Um, in that case, talking about your data privacy and stuff, is there an AI on the market now that people can use to generate content, for instance, where they don't have to worry about their their inputs or anything like that becoming public domain, at least not now? No, absolutely. There is. There is. You just need to look at the application and read the terms and conditions. And sometimes it's a little bit more expensive because they will separate your data. Or you can build it yourself. But again, it's only for larger companies. If you're a small company, I would just um, ask your provider and ask to have a separate instance where your data um, is your property, the input and output is, and... Um, and just check the terms and conditions. ChatGPT is um, it's an open source. So, so obviously, I mean, it's based on the logic of an open source. So obviously, that's a different thing. But if you pay for, um, for a service, you can just ask for the SLA you are comfortable with. When you say when we pay for a service, so do you mean something like, for instance, Jasper? Because I know Jasper AI is yeah, on Jasper, the market. Is there anything else that you all those, say? Yeah, all those solutions, Rider, um, you just need to check. And um, are they using your data or somebody else's data? Mm -hmm. And can you keep uh, ownership of the output and uh, um, ownership of your data? Mm -hmm. Just like anything, like even on social media, where you can retract yeah. your account and ask to be deleted, like GDPR. Um, they have to follow some uh, regulations anyway. Everybody has to. Exactly. Um, okay, so as we start to wrap up now, I, I just want to ask another question as well. Um, so, you know, we know, again, as we've mentioned before, that the digital marketing landscape is constantly evolving. 
And you know, partnering up with the right people is crucial. So I'm not sure if you know this, but Design Rush has positioned itself as a leading global B2B marketplace and directory for various agencies, including things like digital marketing and web design and branding. Now, Isabel, how essential do you think platforms like DesignRush are in aiding businesses to navigating and selecting the right partners in the digital realm? I mean, especially when venturing into new territories like AI marketing. Well, I think it's critical. I think every company who can help you have a clearer view of the landscape, especially the marketing landscape, um, is, is a huge help. I, I mentioned it a little bit earlier, but compared to 10 years ago, uh, last 2023, you have 11,000, more than 11,000 applications at the disposal of marketer. How can we even try all of them, know which one we need? Um, and I think, you know, having categories, having partners who help us on which categories and providers who also can vet some of those applications, as we discussed, which one will keep your uh, private information proprietary, which one will actually help you with content, with lead and all these type of categories is critical because it's a very confusing place. Some solution overlap, some are um, for different size of company of different use cases and having a directory to help you put everything in one place, understand the value and make the best selection for you is critical. It's, um, it's overwhelming in a way. Exactly. Yeah, it does. It really does help you scale that down and, and really pinpoint exactly what it is that you're looking for, right? Okay. So as well as I, or Isabel, sorry about that. As we start to wrap up now, um, I just want to take our discussion back a little bit again uh, to your personal insights, um, just so our listeners, you know, can can get insight to, to you a little bit more. So reflecting on your journey that you've had thus far, if you had the chance to share some wisdom with the younger Isabel just starting out her career, what guidance would you have offered her? Oh, uh, well... So as uh, you know, that's the expression in the US with a quarterback uh, morning debrief, like if you had known the output of the game, where would you have played differently? Um, <laughs> so I, I think one of the things I will tell myself is to keep trying and take risk. Uh, I'm lucky I've, I've, I've done a lot of trying. I've done, no, I've changed, I've changed discipline, I've changed countries, but um, I think I would have tried more things, to be honest, and I would have taken even more risk if I had known that in the end, everything's just work out fine if you put, you know, your energy into it and that there are people along the way helping, uh, people that you will not think of, but actually show up for you. Um, I will say, and one thing that I have done, and uh, but, you know, to make sure I will keep doing it if I <laughs> meet myself 20 years earlier, is to learn every day. Uh, I, I think, you know, trying something new every day, being a little bit uncomfortable, it builds so much resilience, so much resilience and so much self-improvement that really sky is the limit. Um, trying to think differently in a new culture, trying to speak a language you, and market in a language you never spoke before, like on a daily basis, it's super uncomfortable. And sometimes you're a little bit desperate about how bad you are and how good you want to be. But, you know, you're learning every day, you keep at it, 
And, and then also you find uh, things where you are better than others and you play that uh, a little bit more and you surround yourself with people who complement you but never limit yourself. Always try and always learn. Um, always try. And then stay grounded. Sometimes also when you're successful, you just like, you think, oh, okay, I can do more of that. I can do, and you know, you don't give back, but give back because you're there because people gave back to you. Like you're not there alone. Nobody can, you know, can get somewhere alone. And, and just as a thank you for all the people who help you. And that's why I love teaching at Santa Clara University. That's why I love, you know, taking vacation in, um, underdeveloped country just to recalibrate myself, to think how lucky I am, how grateful I am, and to be able to, you know, find it in myself. Like we, we just so caught up with our daily life. We want a bigger car, we want a bigger house, we want a bigger job. We are, and take a step back, look at what others have and consider yourself grateful. And you have so much that it's okay to give back because you're not gonna be poor, just gonna be richer because of that. Um, but just take the time, make the time. It's worth it. Oh, that was beautiful. Thank you so much for that. Really very, very good advice. Um, I wish someone went back in time and told me all that. <laughs> so, uh, just lastly, uh, as well, um, uh, just on a lighter note to end this off, we, I like to do these little fun questions with everybody on the podcast, um, just for a bit of fun. So Isabel, if you were to imagine a superhero inspired by the world of marketing, what would their name be and what special superpower would they have? Oh God. Okay. So this is where my um, limitation uh, as a marketer is going to show up. Uh, by this, I mean like I really know what the superhero should be doing, but I'm really bad at coming up with a good name uh, usually. <laughs> um, I don't know. I think... Um, well, I'll tell you the idea, may not be the best name, but I think it would be the value shifter. Mm -hmm. um, and, and I love Marvel and I love superheroes, obviously. This is, you know, one of my favorite things to watch. Um, but I think when you're a marketer, you, your special powers are empathy, because without empathy, you cannot understand people's needs. Um, it's also being curious and learn as I, as I, you know, would be the advice I will give to myself, uh, younger, because, you know, the more knowledge you have, the more, you know, there are solutions out there to answer your customer needs. Um, and then, you know, what the marketer does, they match, they match the best solution to create the best value with customers. Um, but you know, as we do this, there is always new solutions. There is always new needs from our customers. There is always new technologies as we talk about generative AI. And so you always have to reinvent yourself and always have to adapt to be able to do this match of value between customers and solutions. So maybe the value shifter is why, you know, uh, could be a superhero. Always understanding the market, always understanding the new solution, always learning and always shifting to be able to, to match um, everybody to the best of their abilities. Well, that sounds like a pretty cool superhero, to be honest with you. I think it's very, very cool. Um, Isabel, thank you so much again for joining us today. Really, I 
have enjoyed this conversation so much and um, your insights were invaluable. Thank you so much, really. No, thank you, Janka, for having me today and uh, for uh, spending time with me. I really appreciate it. And that's a wrap on our insightful conversation with Isabel Guy on the world of marketing and AI. If your project could benefit from a world-class marketing agency's expertise, look no further. Head to designrush.com marketplace. Our carefully curated selection of agencies is equipped to help you navigate the evolving digital landscape and bring your vision to life. Again, I'm your host, Bianca Mayer. Stay curious and join us for the next episode.